video interview. Um, yes, Rochelle, Christian, and Kevin, uh, they are very near and dear to our community. They're part of our discipleship team, leading small groups and various ministry teams. And it's just really encouraging to see various people within our community not only have these passion and these giftings, but be able to identify them and for our uptown community to rally behind them and to really support them in this cause. So I wholeheartedly encourage you to pray for them, to ask them any questions, and to check out their website and to learn more. Uh, at this time, we are going to go into the time of word. So as we've been mentioning over the past few weeks, uh, today's sermon is going to be about overcoming adversity. Uh, obviously, in the light of this pandemic and in light of this um, COVID-19 crisis, a lot of us are experiencing adversity, whether at a personal, individual level or whether within the societal level, as we're all part of the same society. Um, and this is really part of a sermon series that we're doing now. We're actually in our third week already, and it's from outbreak to breakthrough, because we do understand that the COVID-19 has truly been an outbreak. It's been very devastating for so many different people, societies, but uh, we know that we have a God who is constantly doing a new thing and he can take the chaos and the evil and the sufferings in this world and he can actually stage and orchestrate breakthroughs in our lives. And that's what we've been experiencing here in our, our uptown community. So some of the topics that we've been talking about is uh, the importance or urgency of routine, the importance and urgency of being part of a relational community, especially in the light of social distancing. So we covered those things over the past two weeks. And if you've missed out on these sermons or these worship services, then you can definitely catch them either on YouTube or via podcast, where you can actually change the playback speed. Uh, today's message is overcoming adversity. But just as a sneak preview, over the ensuing weeks, next week we're going to talk about overcoming death. Because again, death is now becoming such a more prevalent and urgent topic in light of what we're experiencing today as a society. We're going to talk about overcoming conflict. Many of us were cooped up in our homes, and for some of us, that's a blessing. But for some of us, that is a source of great stress as there are a lot of relational conflicts. So what does the gospel say about overcoming such conflicts? And lastly, we're going to talk about overcoming your mind. Uh, part of what I've been hinting at in some of these sermons in this sermon series is this new lifestyle has definitely triggered a lot more issues within our mental health. Um, so we are going to talk about how do we overcome our mind? Does the gospel say about, does the gospel say anything meaningful about these urgent, uh, um, topics that are laid out in this sermon series? So like I mentioned, today's focus is overcoming adversity. Uh, all of us, we have experienced adversity at one point in our lives. We might be experiencing adversity right now. If not, then adversity is just right around the corner. And we're really going to zoom in on one verse. It's pretty short, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. But as you're going to see, this one verse can probably spawn and generate multiple sermons. We're only going to look at it from one angle of, does the gospel provide a better way for us to handle and cope and overcome our adversities? Um, and the answer is absolutely yes. Uh, before we go on any further, I do want to make note, not only do we have Q&A, uh, where all these texts are anonymous, and I do understand that a topic like overcoming adversity can be very sensitive. So please, if you want to text away any questions, all of these are anonymous. We're gonna reflect upon these during sermons. If you've been part of with, if you've been part of us over the past few months, you also know that Q and A is not just about questions, but if you have any prayer requests, 
And also, one thing that I we are going to try to experiment for today's worship service is if you have any prayers that you want to pray either on behalf of yourself or on behalf of our uptown community or on behalf of the world, please submit that prayer to the same phone number during our response time in order for us to make it a little bit more engaging. We want to include other people and other people's prayers. So this phone number is a great way for you to text away any prayers that can be offered that we can uh, pray through during this worship service. So let me pray for us one more time and we will jump right into the word of God. Father, we thank you for giving us this opportunity. Uh, We know that there are some technical difficulties. Uh, we know that there's a lot of people behind the scenes who are pulling strings, doing all these different things to make this worship possible. But at the end of the day, we understand that the only reason why worship is possible, the only reason why sinners like us can approach such a holy, perfect, majestic God like you is not based on technological advancements. It's not based on our own religious uh, desire, but it's only because your son, Jesus Christ, died for all of our sin. He rose again, so his spirit is alive in us, motivating us, willing us to get out of bed and to engage in worship. It's only because of the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, that we come before you. So we come not in the name of technology or in the name of our own righteousness, but we come in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. So with that, may you be pleased with what you see. Holy Spirit, may you take your word and may you convict our hearts. May it not only be relevant in the situations that we're experiencing, as all of us are experiencing adversity one way or another, but more importantly, may you teach us how to have a gospel perspective to be able to live through these adversities as we are united with Christ in light of everything that your son Jesus Christ has done. We thank you. We pray that that would become more and more of a reality through this sermon and in this subsequent week. We thank you and we pray all this in your son's name. Amen. So as far as adversity, uh, I think many of us, we recognize that there are so many different ways to cope with setbacks, sufferings, unexpected, unpredictable, unfortunate turns in your life. And even for myself as a pastor, I've counseled so many different people, discipled various people. And one of the things that I recognize in parenting three young children, in being a teacher, helping students overcome their own adversities, is there's really only four ways that people typically cope with adversity. Um, four broad categories. And in order for me to back this up this past week, I did some light research, looked up some counseling website, looked up some websites from psychiatrists and so on and so forth. And really, as far as how to cope with adversity, as far as how to cope with suffering, there's really only four ways. And let me just uh, trace these out really quickly. Because none of these ways, some of them are helpful, and all of these are things that we've experienced at one point or or another. But what I really want to focus on after I outline these four ways is the gospel provides a much superior way for us to not only cope with adversity, but for us to actually overcome adversity. So the first way I think is probably the most common is when you yourself, you're experiencing adversity, you're experiencing suffering, some type of setback. Probably the most common coping mechanism is you compare with those who are less fortunate. So even during this COVID-19 crisis, as I was catching up with people, pretty much everybody said, oh, I'm really thankful, so on, so on and so forth. 
But the reason why I'm thankful is because I understand that there are people who are suffering much worse than me. Yes, I might have lost my job. Yes, maybe I got sick here. Yes, maybe I got this setback. But when I think about those who are less fortunate, I'm actually really thankful. It's a very common coping mechanism. There's nothing inherently wrong with this coping mechanism. What I'm going to show is all four of these coping mechanisms, however, are very limited. So, for instance, <coughs> let's say somebody, let's say you did lose your job. And yes, it's devastating. You're wondering how you're going to manage your budget. You have mouths to feed. You have rent to pay, mortgage to fulfill, so on and so forth. But one way of you coping is, you know what? Even though I lost my job, and yes, that's devastating. I know that there are people in this society who have lost their lives, who have lost their loved ones. And yes, there is some wisdom in this coping mechanism. But the problem is it's limited. Because what happens if you can't think of somebody who is less fortunate? Maybe you are truly at the bottom of the pits. Or maybe you just, after a while, you can care less that there are people who are less fortunate. Because for you yourself, you still have mouths to feed. That doesn't change the different anxieties or the pressures that you experience. And even in this Western world, where a lot of us, we are very blessed. Materially, educationally, politically, we are very fortunate and yes, one way for us to cope is we look at some of the other societies where they're less advanced and they don't have as many privileges. And yes, we can cope with that, but that again is so limited because at the end of the day, that doesn't take away the pain that we're experiencing. And in some ways, there's actually a strong correlation between us with this coping mechanism and the mental health condition of depression. Because a lot of people who are experiencing depression is when they look at people who are less fortunate than themselves, that actually makes them uh, fall deeper into their depression because then they feel like, man, I really don't have any right to feel depressed, but I still feel depressed. And it just becomes a slippery slope. All this to say is, yes, this coping mechanism is common. This coping mechanism can be helpful, but it is truly limited. And really, it misses the mark of what the gospel can offer. Second, another coping mechanism is let's say you can't compare with those who are less fortunate. Let's say you really feel like you're at the bottom of the pit. The next coping mechanism that we do is we look for that silver lining. We look for that unintended, some, somehow beneficial result. So let's say, again, you lost your job. And yes, it is horrible. But three months later, guess what happens? You find a better job. So the next time you lose your job, you're thinking, you know what? There may be a silver lining. There may be an unintended beneficial result. As tragic as this situation is, maybe there is some type of silver lining. Maybe this is an opportunity for me to advance in my career. Maybe this is an opportunity for me to spend more time with the family, so on and so forth. And again, this coping mechanism is very common, but it is also very limited. Because unfortunately in life, it's harsh. And there are situations where we do suffer, where there is adversity. And unfortunately, there's no way for you to find silver lining. There are some really, really, really heartbreaking, tragic situations. And yes, you can look for the silver lining all you want. But at the end of the day, it is just downright painful. And there's really not much silver lining that you can find. So if we can't find the silver lining, if we can't find solace in the fact that there are people less fortunate than us, then there's another coping mechanism. And this one is also very common, and it is to search deep within. 
And this is probably the coping mechanism that is the most popular these days, especially among counselors, psychiatrists, so on and so forth. You see this all over in Disney movies about reaching deep inside, believing in yourself. When you face setbacks, when you face adversity, when you face suffering, then this is an opportunity for you to be mentally tough. This is an opportunity for you to build your internal fortitude. This is an opportunity for you to grit your teeth and to really ask yourself, how badly do you want this? I know for many of us, we're watching that documentary, The Last Dance. So many people are watching it. And yes, one of the really inspirational things, one of the really motivational things about The Last Dance and other things like it, is it really enables us to search deep within ourselves. We love watching those Disney movies where it says the solution is all about who you are in the inside. And yes, for some of us, when we do experience adversity and it's nonsensical, it's just downright suffering. You can't find the silver lining. You can't take solace in the fact that other people are less fortunate because you feel like you're actually at the bottom of the pits. For some of us, we look at this as an opportunity for internal growth. I'm going to mature. I'm going to become stronger. But again, this can be very limited as well. After a while, you get tired. After a while, where do you have that energy to continue to muscle from one adversity to another, one suffering after another? And therefore, this can lead to the last coping mechanism, which really isn't a coping mechanism, is you simply sweep it under the rug. You know, if you can't find solace in the fact that there are people less fortunate than you, if you can't find any kind of silver lining, any kind of unintended beneficial results, if you can't really search deep within, man, you just sweep it under the rug and you cope by not coping with it. And yes, it may seem like it's better. Yes, maybe you drink yourself away or maybe you just party it up. Maybe you just distract yourself with different entertainment, whatever. But whenever something happens that is even remotely associated to that instance of adversity, boy, does that trigger such animosity, such bitterness and resentment in your heart. So even in the situation, again, of losing your job, and again, let's say you can't find the silver lining. Let's say you can't search deep within. Anything that has to do with that job that you lost, that triggers feelings of despair, feelings of rejection, feelings of broken self-esteem or whatever. Bitterness, resentment, if it has to do with the relationships. And unfortunately, even though these are the typical ways that we cope with adversity, not only are they all limited, but the gospel truly, truly, truly offers a superior way for us to not only cope with our adversities, but for us to overcome. And this is very relevant, especially today, because again, I do not want to make light of individual situations. I do understand that some of us are right in the thick of things. I understand that some of us are truly suffering. And yes, it's difficult. And please, I don't want to preach this in a way where I'm trying to say that it's easy to overcome. I'm not saying that it's easy. But what I am saying is based on the word of God, there is a better way. The gospel provides such hope in the midst of adversities. Actually, this hope enables us to understand this hope more deeply because of adversity. So I know we have some newcomers, we have some visitors. Some of us may not know what the gospel is. 
So let me just break it down to us. Or for some of us who do know what the gospel is, you may be thinking to yourself, how does the gospel relate with adversity? I don't really see a direct correlation. So let me just do this really quickly for just to level set with everybody, make sure that we're all on the same page. And what's really helpful, once again, are the five basic food groups of the gospel. And if we run through these five basic food groups of the gospel with a mind towards adversity, we see that the gospel actually says a lot about adversity. The first thing about the first, uh, the five, eight, five basic food groups of the gospel is who is God? And we understand that our God, according to Genesis chapter one, and that's the passage that we're looking at over the past two weeks, our God created everything. He created everything methodically with much joy, with much pride in his craft and his work. And not only did God create everything in reality in this universe, but the peak of his creation, what he had the most pride and most joy when he created was actually us, humanity. So he created us, humanity, in his own image. No, no other part of creation can actually bear that type of privilege that they've been created in the image of God. We have. And the reason why God created us, me, you, in the image of him is so that we can have this special relationship with him that no other part of creation can experience. And in this relationship with God, everything was going to be so perfect. We were going to work but work would not have suffering. There wasn't any adversity at this point in time. As we work, we would be able to be productive. As we work, we would be efficient, effective. We would experience the joys and the satisfaction of work. As we relate with people, God created us to be in relationship. Adam and Eve, and also they were supposed to have dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the animals of the land. They were supposed to multiply the world with their own offspring. They were supposed to live in community and in a relationship. And in our relationship, we were supposed to have harmonious, blissful, perfect relationships that in all of our relationships, it deepens our relationship with God. So as we relate with God, we're able to work without adversity. We're able to relate with others without adversity. We were able to manage the world without adversity. There wasn't any suffering. Everything was perfect. But as we know, what is a problem? Because what I just described sounds like a fairy tale in light of what we see in our current situation. And what is the problem? The Bible says the problem is sin. What is sin? is our tendency to distort, reject, and suppress God's character and his involvement. And in this structure that God created, where we relate with him, and as we relate with him in perfect harmony, we're able to relate with others in perfect harmony. We're able to work in perfect harmony. Everything was perfect. But basically what we said is, you know what? I want to reject you, God. I want to distort the things that you say. I want to suppress your character. I want to reject your involvement. In fact, I would rather work without thinking about you. I would rather relate with my spouse, with my family, in my relationships, in my company. I would rather manage the resources of this world, money, oil, all these natural produce, without your involvement, without your character. And what did that end up doing? That ended up creating a downward spiral where because everything was designed and created for us to first and foremost be in relationship with him so everything else can flow harmoniously. Because we cut that source off, because of that sinful tendency that all of us have, man, broken relationships. 
sufferings in the world, environmental issues, stress politics at work. Basically, that opened the door to adversity. Suffering, setback, ultimately death. All because of our sinful tendency. Again, this is not the way God designed it. And this is why on a daily basis, not just a weekly, but on a daily basis, we experience adversity. We live in a fallen world. We live in a broken society. Just flip on the news. You see it at a societal level. And if you're honest with yourself, you see it in an individual level as well. And it's all because of our sinful tendency. Now, thank God that God did not end the story that way. He could have. He could have left us in the misery of our sin, but that leads us to the next basic food group. What is the solution? The solution is in God's love, in his mercy, he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to come on earth, to live in our adversity, and to suffer the greatest adversity by dying for our death, by dying and being punished for our sin. That sinful tendency that I mentioned our tendency to reject, suppress, distort God's character and involvement, those have consequences. And all of those consequences fell on the head of Jesus Christ. That is why we celebrate his death on that cross. Yes, our hearts break with sobriety and with humility because that was our sin. But at the same time, we know that is the source of our salvation. Not only did Jesus die on that cross, but on the third day he rose again from the grave. He overcame death. And when he overcame death, he gave us his spirit. So everybody who believes in this gospel message, we are not living by ourselves any longer. We are living with the presence of the Holy Spirit. I mentioned this a month ago where theologians call this union with Christ. So now everything that Jesus Christ has done, that perfect righteous life that he lived, God looks at us as if we live that life. No longer does God look at us as sinners, but God looks at us as perfect, just like Jesus Christ. And not only does, are we in Christ, but Christ is in us. His Holy Spirit is dwelling in us. His Holy Spirit is the one that motivated you to wake up maybe a little earlier for this worship stream. The Holy Spirit is the one that motivated you despite the technical difficulties that we experience to, hey, you know what? Maybe we should stay and be patient because worship is important. That's not from you. That is from the Holy Spirit. That is by virtue of our union with Christ. And the greatest blessing of our union with Christ is leading to the last basic food group is no longer do I care so much about my preferences. Yes, I might experience adversity. Yes, I might experience suffering, but at the end of the day, my greatest desire is not for me to look out for numero uno, but my greatest desire is to glorify God. God's ultimate purpose, our ultimate purpose is to bring honor and pleasure to him. And if you've been part of us over the past two weeks, when we talked about the urgency of routine, the urgency of community and relationships, we recognize that when our focus is glorifying God, that's when we actually experience the greatest blessings and benefits of life. So this is sort of the framework of how the gospel can speak into adversity. Now we're going to zoom into this a little bit more because practically speaking, this offers us very little instruction, very little guidance of, okay, what do I do now? I'm experiencing adversity. How do I translate what you just said about the five basic food groups and the gospel and adversity into my everyday life? And for us to do that, we're going to focus on this one verse written by this guy named Paul, supremely important, 
a verse that was written 2,000 years ago, Apostle Paul. Very short. And Apostle Paul, let me just, in case you guys don't know, Apostle Paul was a rising superstar in his social circles. Not only from a religious standpoint, but back in the day, religion, politics, society, all those things were intertwined. Paul was a rising superstar, but when he met Christ, when he encountered the gospel, he said all of that, all of my success, all of my accolades, that's rubbish. And in fact, he transformed his life 180 degree, where then he began to suffer for the gospel. He began to be persecuted by his former colleagues. He was whipped. He was flogged. He was imprisoned. People deserted him. And all of it, as he experienced adversity, when you read through his letters, there's not a hint of remorse. There is not a hint of him feeling like he's the victim. In fact, there's actually joy. When he faced adversity, when he faced suffering, you can tell in his writing that his eyes lit up because he recognized, wow, there's something so precious and cherishable about my adversity because of the gospel. It's not because he's a masochist, but it's because he truly had this gospel perspective. So we're going to break this down. Short verse, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. It's short, but man, it's very loaded. Let me read it for us. That I, Paul, may know him who is Jesus Christ. That I may know Jesus Christ and I may know the power of Jesus' resurrection. And I may share in Jesus' sufferings, becoming like Jesus, even in Jesus' own death. Short verse, but what does it mean? Uh, it is actually very jam-packed. We can probably do an entire sermon series on this. And it's not because he's using these eloquent words. It's, it's really because the words that he's using, he's combining them in such an unorthodox way. And in order for us to really capture this, uh, we have to recognize, you know what? The Bible, the New Testament, was originally written in Greek. Uh, I'm not going to read out the Greek for you because it's nonsensical to most of you. But what I am going to do is whenever you try to learn a new language, especially the writings of Paul, because he is a little bit more on the logical side, it's very important for you to diagram that, that, um, that language in order for us to understand the specific parts and appreciate the actual truth that is behind this verse. So I'm going to do this quick diagram. It's not going to take long. Don't worry. It's not going to feel overwhelming. Um, but this is really a way for us to better understand what Paul is trying to say. And here I'm just going to use my own translation of the Greek. Uh, the modern English translations, all of them are good. So it's not a knock on the modern English translations. But I, I know some of the translators personally. And there are instances where for, um, for certain verses where you could accentuate things a little bit more effectively. And that's what I'm going to do here with Philippians chapter 3 verse 10. And here I'm going to translate. And here he says, in order that I might. And the reason why I highlight in order that is because all the accolades that he considers rubbish, all the sufferings that he's been enduring, he embraces those things. Not because he's a masochist, but in order that there's a purpose. And he's explaining to us what this purpose is in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. In order that I might recognize or realize now, I have that underlined as well, because for some of us in our English translations, you're going to see that I might know. And knowing is a good translation, but when we think about the actual Greek verb, a much precise and accurate translation is not know, but
but it's actually to recognize and realize. Because many of us, we can know Jesus intellectually. Many of us, we can know the gospel. We can recite the five basic food groups. But do we actually recognize it? Do, do, is this something that we actually realize in our everyday situations, especially in the light of our adversity? So Paul emphasizes that I may recognize, not just intellectually consent, because even the demons can do that, but for me to actually recognize and realize it so that it's actually lived out in my everyday life. So what is it that Paul is suffering so that he can recognize and realize? What is it that he truly is aspiring to? Uh, it looks like three things. He lists out three things, but it's really just one thing. And that one thing is that I might recognize and realize Jesus Christ. Not just intellectually know him. Not just know a bunch of facts about him, but for me to really realize, recognize who he is, the reality of my relationship with him. I want that to truly permeate into every aspect of my life, the way I work, the way I conduct my routine, the way I engage in relationships and community, the way I endure, cope with adversity, sufferings, all these different things that we're going to talk about next week with death, the week after that with relational conflict, the week after that, the mental health conditions, all these things, I want Jesus Christ. I want to recognize Him. That's the opposite of sin. I don't want to suppress God any longer. But every aspect of my life, I want it to be me recognizing, realizing the great hope that I have in Jesus Christ. Now, for some of us, we're wondering, okay, what does it mean for me to recognize or realize Jesus? Is it the miracles that He performed? Because He did perform a lot of miracles. Is it the teachings that He taught? Because for many people, they look at Jesus as just a human philosopher who, yes, he might have been a little crazy because he wasn't God, but at least his teachings, there's a lot of wisdom. What is it that Paul really wants to know about Jesus? And that's why I say these aren't really three things, but the next two things really specify who Jesus is. And if you've been with us, if you've been reading the New Testament, these two things are not a surprise whatsoever. It's his death and resurrection, right? We see this even in your modern English translation, whatever translation you're using, ESV, NASB, NRSV, NIV, they should probably focus, all translations will focus on his resurrection and his death. Uh, the word suffering there is actually connected specifically to passion, which talks not just his sufferings in his life, which it includes, but most specifically the sufferings that he endured on his death. And that's why with Jesus Christ, a lot of people may say, hey, I'm all about Jesus. But who is Jesus to you? Is he just some teacher? Is he just a miracle worker? No, in the Bible, in the New Testament, specifically for Paul and here at Uptown, what we focus on time and time again are two central things, his death and his resurrection. It makes all the difference. And you'll notice that the power of his resurrection, I'm not going to talk about that too much this week. We'll talk about that a little bit more next week when we talk about overcoming death. But the sharing slash fellowship of his passion slash suffering. And the reason why I put those slashes is because what Paul is essentially saying, and if you're looking at the ESV, it doesn't really capture this, is Paul is saying, I want to recognize and realize that I'm already sharing the sufferings of Jesus. Because I am united with Jesus, Christ is in me, I am in Christ, it's this new reality from the gospel. 
I am at my life. Yes, there's power of his resurrection. Yes, there's victory. But just as much as there is power and victory as a Christian in light of the gospel, there is also suffering and adversity. Two sides of the same coin. And Paul is saying that, I know the ESV says that I might share in his sufferings, but again, the Greek is much more accurate, and you'll see it in other translations. It's not that I might share in Jesus' sufferings. Paul's saying we already are sharing in Jesus' sufferings by virtue of our union with Christ. Well, Paul's saying that I might recognize, that I might realize, that I might appropriately understand that my life, yes, there is resurrection power. Yes, there is victory. And we're going to talk more about that next week. But for the purposes of this sermon, as much as there's power, there's also suffering. There's also this fellowship. The Greek word is koinonia. But it's this idea of this intimate communion that we have with Jesus. That as he suffered, we suffer. And as we are currently suffering, we're able to empathize with Jesus' sufferings. And then in order that, what is the purpose of all of this? Why is it that he wants to recognize and realize Jesus at a deeper level, specifically Jesus' resurrection and his suffering and his death? Is the end of verse 10 is that I am being conformed to Jesus' death. We're going to talk about what that means. What does it mean for us to be conformed to Jesus' death? And again, it sounds like Paul is truly a masochist. But when we take a step back, what we're going to do in a minute is we recognize, wow, no, he is not. He is really relishing in the gospel. And he has a different perspective because he understands that he is now united with Christ. And that truly impacts the way he copes with adversity. So like I mentioned, this sermon, we can talk about so many different things. But I just want to focus because we're on the topic of adversity. We're just going to focus on the things that are highlighted right. Sharing or having the fellowship of Jesus' passion, his death, his suffering. And being conformed to Jesus' death. All those other things, supremely important. But for, again, the topic of this sermon, I just cannot spend the time doing that. And what Paul is essentially doing, and let me just break it down, is, is three things. And they're all related. Is when Paul goes through his own sufferings, and like I mentioned, he experienced a lot of adversity. Physical, social, relational, mental, everything, the whole gamut. What he does is he recognizes this is an instance of me sharing and having fellowship and having intimacy with Jesus. Because my Lord, the King of Kings, the God of the universe, he subjected himself to his own form of suffering, carrying that cross, bearing our death, and being punished for our sin. And what Paul looks at, when he looks at his own setbacks, and even for us, we can translate, when we lose our job, when we lose just so many difficult situations in our lives, is yes, we should grieve. Yes, we should mourn. Those things are natural. And we see that in Ecclesiastes. There's a time for mourning. All those things are biblically true. But after we go through that, or in the midst of our mourning, we need to recognize, because we are now united with Christ, this suffering is a gateway, it's a window for me to empathize with Jesus' suffering. That's number one. Is your suffering is pointing you, not to yourself. Your suffering is not pointing you for you to be resentful towards your family members or for towards your boss or whatever. Your suffering is pointing you ultimately to Jesus' suffering. 
And yes, we can look at his death, but when we look at the entirety of his entire life, there is no suffering or adversity that we're experiencing that Jesus himself cannot relate with. Yes, I know Jesus was never an employee per se. He never lost his job or got a pay cut per se. But let's say you do lose your job and you do experience pay cut and you're wondering, how would Jesus be able to empathize with me? Well, what does the pay cut do for you? The pay cut is devastating because you're afraid that you're going to be provided for. Or it may be a wound to your ego where all of a sudden you're wondering about your own self-worth. That your management, despite your long hours, despite your loyalty to your company over the past five years, they just snap with a snap of a finger, let you off. That feeling that is truly is what is eating inside you are feelings that Jesus himself experienced. He himself experienced what it felt like to be insignificant. Most of his ministry, people were, did not understand what his teachings were. Most of his ministry, people deserted him. Most of his relational community that he had, people underestimated him. His brothers accused him of being some type of trick tricker or some type of whatever. Some, somebody who's insane. He was betrayed by even his closest disciples. All these things that we experience that really get to our hearts, that really enable us to feel this sense of suffering, are things that Jesus himself experienced. When we think about even Jesus, death, he not only faced death, but he lost his loved ones, did he not? When he was hanging on the cross, how did he feel when he saw his mother watching her own son dying before him? When Jesus hung on that cross, he knew that the disciples would all live martyred lives. All of them would live lives where they are being tortured, persecuted, ultimately be put to death. Jesus lost loved ones as well. Jesus was separated by the Father. That in his death, as he carried that cross, as he endured the punishment of all of our sin, he endured the wrath of the Father. What I'm trying to say is there is no adversity that we are experiencing that Jesus cannot empathize with. Jesus is the one who experienced the worst of all adversity. And the difference is for Jesus, he experienced it unjustly. He lived a perfect life and yet he experienced the worst of adversities. All of us, we are sinners. All of us have that tendency that I mentioned earlier. And yes, I don't want to make light of the sufferings that we experience, but at the end of the day, those are the consequences of our sinful tendency. But for Jesus, he lived a perfect life. And yet he experienced the worst of all adversities. So the first way of coping with our adversity in light of the gospel is, wow, this suffering that we're experiencing, this rejection that I feel, this wound to my ego, this wound to my self-esteem, this feeling of anxiety that I'm not going to be provided for, all those things Jesus himself experienced. Everything. And that leads to the second point. Jesus didn't just experience those adversities just because he was curious of the day in the life of a human being. I've been watching these days the day in the life of so on and so forth on YouTube. And they're, they're, they're very interesting and in some ways inspirational. Jesus was not curious. Why are humans the way they are? You know what? Let me take a stroll down earth 
and let me see what it's like. No, Jesus, the reason why he endured all those adversities was not out of curiosity, was out of love. He loved us. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son to die. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son to endure all the adversities I just mentioned. All the sufferings that we experience, which is a really a gateway into the sufferings that Jesus experienced. All of that was not because Jesus was curious about what our life is like, but in order to love us, in order to save us. So the second thing that we should do is as we experience suffering, yes, the pain doesn't go away, but we recognize, you know what? This is a gateway for me to better understand what Jesus, my Lord, my God went through. And not only did he go through this, but he did this to love me. He went through this suffering in order to save me. And what that does is that fills your heart with a sense of love and a sense of joy. That God would love you so much that he would suffer for you. Therefore, it's no coincidence that for Paul, he is not just a masochist embracing suffering. For him, it's a recognition. It's a realization. These adversities enable him. They're constant reminders of Jesus' sufferings and Jesus' love. As he is being, as he is suffering, he is actually being reminded and gaining a deeper realization of Jesus' love for him. It's crazy. But this is the new mentality that God has blessed us with by virtue of the gospel. And then the third point, the third coping mechanism that the the gospel offers is yes, as we are able to empathize with Jesus more, as we're able to appreciate his love more in our lives, the next thing it does is enables us to conform to Jesus' death. What does that mean? Let me just give you the TLDR version of that. Is being conformed to Jesus' death in a nutshell means that no longer is our desire about our comfort and our preferences, but that's being replaced with our desire to glorify and honor God. That's what it means to be conformed to the death of Jesus. And if you don't believe me, uh, go to Philippians chapter 2, the chapter right before this. Read verses 6 to 11. And it talks about how Jesus was obedient to death, even death on a cross. Being conformed to Jesus' death is being obedient. And why was Jesus obedient? Because he didn't care about himself. And that's why the remaining verses of Philippians chapter 2 all the way to verse 11 talks all about everything. It ends in verse 11. To the glory of God the Father. And as we cope with our adversity, as we're able to empathize with Jesus, as we're able to feel his love and experience his love in a deeper way, what that does is slowly but surely, no longer do we care so much about our preferences. All of a sudden, we take a backseat to our own life. And all of a sudden, or not all of a sudden, but gradually, we start focusing on you know what, the pain is, is, is truly painful. But my greatest desire is to just bring honor and glory to God. I just want to please Him in the way that I live my life, in the way that I endure this suffering. Now I understand that the way I outlined it, it sounds so simple. I could talk about Paul who lived 2,000 years ago and you're wondering, well, Paul is an exception. Whatever. 
No, I think if you have truly been living this new gospel mentality where you are united with Christ, the things that I'm talking about, yes, it may sound a little too simple, but it resonates with your soul, with your heart, because these are things that we have experienced in the power of the gospel, but maybe we weren't able to succinctly put words into it. But again, I understand that there are people who are suffering. So let me just put my own life as an example. I remember maybe, what, 10 years ago. I mean, my life, I could say, is filled with adversity, just like anybody else. Uh, There are some sufferings that I will share maybe in subsequent weeks when we talk about mental health, when we talk about relational conflict. So I'll save some of those stories for later. But the thing that I think can be most conducive to this sermon is, yeah, I think, uh, what, 10 years ago when we started having kids, um, it was difficult. It was really difficult because my wife was a resident in OBGYN down in the States. And the reason why I specify that is because residency in OBGYN in the States is just brutal. I mean, you're working at least 90 hours a week and you're constantly on your feet. Uh, you hardly ever have free time. And when you do have free time, you're basically sleeping. And during this residency is when we had two of our newborns. So Jude and Juliet, we gave birth to them during her residency. Um, she has no recollection of any of the newborns. Like when we see pictures of Jude as a newborn or even Juliet, she has no because re- she was constantly working. Maternity leave down in the States, you have to fight tooth and nail for every day you get off. She had four weeks for Juliet and I think six weeks for Jude. Walking zombie, she doesn't remember anything. It was really difficult. Um, just being her husband, helping her, not only as a mom, but as a, just spiritually connecting with God. Um, very, very difficult dry season. I was also working full-time in software management or software development I was gaining a lot more responsibility, moving from project management to product management, logging a lot of hours on my own, at least 60 to 80 hours a week, basically being a single parent because Jeannie was MIA, constantly at the hospital or sleeping. And yes, like I understand for single parents, it's tough. And um, in some ways, uh, I wasn't really a single parent because yes, Jeannie was alive and we were living together. But in some ways, I think I was worse than a single parent because when you're, a sing- when you're a father being a single parent, it, it makes things a m- much more difficult. So whenever I would take the kids, you know, they're in their strollers, I would go to the mall. Um, I would see a bunch of moms and they're all stay-at-home moms. They're all, some of them could be single moms. I don't know, but they're congregating together. They're socializing. They have a community. They have a relational community. And I look at them and they're just enjoying it. They're laughing it up. They're eating lunch together. Yes, their babies are crying or whatever, but they have a community. For me, I look around and, you know, most guys in this society are working. I'm like the only guy who's with the kids constantly, also working. Um, work was really stressful. There were situations where there were certain projects where I just felt like were above my pay grade, above my competency, above my expertise. So I was feeling familiar, familial stress from home. Not only taking care of the kids, um, wife, who is basically just a walking zombie for four years. It was very brutal for her. How am I supposed to minister to her? Work-wise, I feel like I'm being hammered there. And during that five-year period, wow, it was very difficult. 
being involved in church at the same time, I was still heavily involved in church, leading small groups, leading various ministries like our welcoming ministry, uh, being involved in children's ministry. I mean, there, it, my life was very jam-packed. And I remember as I was experiencing a lot of, just a lot of discouragement and feeling very isolated because I really felt like nobody could understand what I was going through. Um, some people might be able to understand the work stress. Some people might be able to ex- understand the family stress, but nobody could understand all of it just coming down on my shoulders. And yes, those five years were difficult. And one of my coping mechanisms was like the first one. I would look at those who are less fortunate. I would look at Jeannie and be like, you know what? As tough as I'm getting it, I know she's experiencing it really difficult. Because I'm sure as a heart of a mother, she really wants to see her kids. She doesn't get to spend time with them. But after a while, that didn't really, really mean anything to me. Because that didn't change the fact that I was still experiencing a lot of loneliness and isolation. Um... I tried to look at it as a silver lining and I would look at it as, you know what, at least have an opportunity to spend time with my kids and maybe I'm able to forge a very good daddy-son, daddy-daughter relationship. And yes, that was inspirational for about a minute, but you know, after you're changing one poopy diaper after another, that gets really old very soon. I wasn't able to find much silver lining. Then the other idea is maybe I can search deep within. Maybe this is an opportunity for me to really experience that type of fortitude, that type of patience, that type of love. I'll tell you, I just wanted to sleep. I didn't have any inkling, any desire, anything. I had nothing within me. And I'll be honest, there were moments where I fell into resentment. I fell into bitterness because I just felt so isolated. And anytime somebody would try to empathize, they just couldn't. And when they thought they could, that would actually infuriate me even more. And during this season, it was pretty prolonged. One of the things that really helped me was the idea that maybe my sufferings are sufferings that enable me to identify Jesus more. Because yes, Jesus wasn't a single home parent. Of course not. He didn't work in software development. Of course not. But Jesus felt isolation. Jesus felt lonely. Jesus felt like nobody could understand him. Jesus felt like everything was on his shoulders and there was nobody that he could vent to. Jesus felt like there were nobody who could really help him, minister to him. And when I experienced that, I recognized, you know what? Maybe my sufferings, especially in light of Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, maybe my suffering is not just about me, but maybe it enables me to have a deeper appreciation for Jesus. And then it made me think, why did Jesus go through all that? Jesus went through all that to love me, to rescue me, to save me. And all of a sudden, every time I felt isolated, every time I felt like I was going through some type of affliction or whatever, I recognized not only is it a gateway into empathizing Jesus with Jesus more, but it is such a visceral, vicarious reminder of Jesus' love towards me. He would go through any lengths to save me. And I'll be honest, during those five years, it was difficult. But when the dust settled, one of the things that I really came away with is I started to take my life much less seriously. It's not so much about my preferences. It's not so much about my plans. 
about my career ambition that after two years, I'm going to do this. After three years, I'm going to get promoted here. I'm going to get that cert- certification and all these different things. No. After that, after I experienced this intimacy with Jesus during that time and really being able to experience his love towards me in such an indelible way, slowly but surely, my life is not about my own. And yes, I'm still growing in this. But I am being conformed to the death of Jesus. I just want to live a life of obedience because it might hurt. It may go against my preferences. It may go against my comfort. It may go against whatever. But when I have experienced this love of Jesus, those things can take a backseat because I would much rather bring honor, glory, pleasure to God. And I'll be honest, even today, it's not like a light switch where I'm on and it's um, this is my default disposition. It's still a struggle. And that's why we still need things like relational community, routine, prayer, the word of God, Sunday services, all these things we still need. But the reason why I was able to realize that, recognize that, where it actually permeates into various aspects of my life is through those adversities, is through coping with it in my union with Christ, having this gospel perspective and mentality. So as we close, um, I just want to kind of summarize, because I know I said a mouthful, is the gospel provides a superior way to not only cope with your adversity, but to overcome it. Because part of being Christian is not just living a life of victory, but part of being Christian is also sharing in the sufferings and the adversities of Jesus Christ. And the first thing that we do in our union with Christ as we experience adversity is we empathize with the worst adversities that only Christ suffered. And as we do that, we recognize, we appreciate his love for us so much more because those adversities that he endured was not because he was just curious, but it's because he was trying to rescue and love us. And thirdly, as this becomes more of a realization, more of a recognition in our lives, not just intellectual knowledge. And that's why we need adversities because that's where these lessons become realized in our lives. We become more concerned for God's glory than our own preferences. So as we close, I do want to turn our um, attention to the Q&A. If you have any questions, I know I wasn't able to talk about everything about adversity. So please feel free to text away any anonymous questions. All of them are anonymous. And like I mentioned earlier, uh, we will have a time of response and prayer. But I think it would be really good if some of you guys can maybe submit an anonymous prayer either for yourself or for our community or for our world, because we know adversity is such an urgent topic now. And in light of our union with Christ, in light of the gospel, should we not have a different perspective in how we cope and even overcome adversity? If you have any prayer requests, this is also an excellent opportunity to do that. So as we do that, uh, I do want to invite everybody, uh, if you can stand, and if you cannot stand, at least place your hand on your heart, And the other hand, I want you to raise it up. If your arm gets tired, maybe raise it up like this. But basically as a symbolic expression of God, have your way with me. Holy Spirit, you are present. Word of God, speak to me. Either comfort my heart, rebuke my heart, challenge my heart. Whatever it is, make me have a deeper recognition, deeper realization that I now live in a new reality where I am united with Christ, where all of my adversity, sufferings I'm experiencing is not just about me wallowing in my own misery or resorting to these cheap coping mechanisms, 
but it's me having a deeper appreciation for the worst adversities that your son Jesus Christ experienced so that he could love me, so that he could save me. And as I recognize this more and more, Holy Spirit, help me to no longer live for myself, but to live for your glory, for your pleasure, for your honor. So I just want to give us an opportunity to really interact with the Holy Spirit. If you want to text away any questions, prayers, or prayer requests, then please do that as well.